And welcome back to Coast to Coast, George Norrie with you, Wayne Solman with us. Wayne, you talk about dream yoga. Let's talk a little bit about that because that ties into your first book, The Dream Illuminati, doesn't it? It does indeed, yes. Um, from a very young age, I was having dreams of flying, which I was very intrigued by. And as the years went on, I got better and better at it in my dreams. So it, it kind of put my focus there in, in the night. And then when I was a teenager, I began reading uh, Jung, who talks a lot about dreams and the significance of dreams and so forth. So uh, dreams of flying are really kind of universal, and many of us have them, and you might wonder what they're all about, but they're very exciting, just for starters, uh, the idea that you can defy gravity and just fly around. Um, it, it's, a, it's a very exhilarating experience. So my first book, uh, The Dream Illuminati, was based on a group of uh, like what Robert Anton Wilson called flying mystics, but they were people who were, had uh, personal rocket packs or jet packs. Uh, so this is set like 20 years in the future or so. And they were living out their dreams of flying. Uh, and uh, it gets controversial in the book. And uh, there's, uh, you know, a lot of action. It is a thriller. But uh, it also ties in uh, these deeper understandings of what flight is all about in our dreams or what our dreams are all about. So I think that dreams can be a direct connection to this higher uh, intelligence realm where we get uh, assistance, you might say, from entities which might be our spirit guides or could be these transcendentals as angels and this sort of thing. Um, but it can inspire us to move our lives in a certain way. So I was just fascinated with that, and um, I've been studying about dreams my whole life. And uh, it, to this day, sometimes I still have significant dreams that are just able to focus my my path, you might say, like the direction I want to go. And I do think these are uh, significant uh, messages from a higher realm. And I think it's very important to pay attention to your dreams. So the Eastern sages have a whole yoga, which is called dream yoga. And uh, you're just learning to uh, be in control of your mind. There's the lucid dream phenomenon. And uh, But just mainly learning to uh, pay attention and try to discover what the significance uh, that your dreams are trying to tell you. And Jung is an excellent source to go with that to understand about the archetypes and the mythic qualities to our lives. Good point. What is the story behind the Power Stone? The Power Stone is about the Aborigine Dreamtime, and this uh, again ties in. Therefore, uh, some say the Aborigines have been in Australia for up to 40,000 years. So that's a long time, and they've always insisted that there is 
such a thing as the dream time or the dreaming. But what happened to me really convinced me of the authenticity of this. And what happened is I was traveling. Uh, I lived in Australia for like three years, and I was in Perth at one point. Uh, I lived in Melbourne, and I was on my way back to Melbourne after a holiday, and just at random stopped, just took a road down to the ocean in South Australia, and set up camp and just wandered about looking at uh, interesting rocks and shells and so forth. But I found a cave, and when I, it was very low, like uh, opening right on the water. And I looked inside, and I could see light inside there. So I was intrigued, and I crawled into the cave, and it, it was a, there was a hole in the roof. Uh, so it was probably a blowhole when the tide was high. Right. But I found an oblong stone in the midst of this cave, and it was absolutely fascinating. It was about as long as my forearm. And it had crisscrossing bands on it. Well, I was... Was it chiseled or was it natural looking? Well, the thing was, it seemed natural looking to me. Yeah, I figured it had been rolled in the surf for thousands of years. Who knows how long? But it turns out it was an aboriginal artifact or a power stone. They called uh, The name is Chiringa. I innocently took the stone back to my place uh, in Melbourne. And uh, then that was the next day. And I put stones and shells and things that I'd collected on the floor of the bedroom. I took a shower, sat back on the bed, and started reading a book of poetry. So I was just relaxing. And I happened to look up at one point and notice that the whole upper part of the room was filled with mist and I was really intrigued by this. There was a green Chinese lantern shade in the middle of the room hanging from the ceiling and the mist was so thick around that that I was absolutely mesmerized and then I noticed a spinning spiral in the mist that was probably as long as my arm. So it was sizable spiral. And it was just moving. It was just circulating there uh, by the old Victorian fireplace that was in the room. And uh, there was a clock right beside the bed. So I know that the experience lasted over an hour where I'm just looking at the spiral in the mist. And at one point, the spiral came at me and entered me and spun around. And I just sensed that it was checking me out. <laughs> and then it backed up, back by the fireplace. So as I say, for over an hour, I was experiencing this. And at one point, someone started a car outside. And it seemed like that noise disrupted the situation. And the spiral started crackling and then shot up through the ceiling. And in an absolute instant, the whole mist just cleared out. So I was stunned. But 
it was a very positive experience at the same time. So it wasn't like there was any fear involved with it, but it was very uh, intriguing. About a week later, well, first I should say uh, an Australian couple I knew, they came and saw the stone and they said, this is probably an Aboriginal artifact. You shouldn't have taken that. And I'm like, oh, dear, you know. Okay, what did I do? Uh, what did I do? But anyway, the short story is I met an Aborigine woman in an, a store that specialized in their culture. And I told her about the stone, and she said, I have a friend who's a professor at the university, and he knows all about these things. So bring me the stone, and I will pass it on to him, and he will tell us if it's an Aboriginal artifact or not. So I did that, and it was about a week after that, I got a phone call from the woman, and she said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I had to give the stone to the Aborigines. And I'm like, well, you know, okay, because it had been identified as an Aboriginal sure. stone, as a Chiringa, a power stone. probably theirs. Absolutely. And they, the Aborigine Society of South Australia actually flew two shaman-type Aborigines to Melbourne to retrieve that stone. And when the woman uh, said, well, it's not mine to give, <laughs> they said to her, Give us the stone, or we're going to point the bone at you. Oh, jeez. This is serious stuff to an Aborigine. It's like a death sentence. So this is how seriously they took this. And I subsequently learned that there are spiral petroglyphs all over Australia. They're pecked into the stone. And I went on to learn how that's also true in countries like Ireland, where I live now. There's a... uh, an ancient uh, stone structure called Newgrange that has spirals pecked in the stone. So these are petroglyphs are here as well. So it you know it makes you think like is is the uh, the form that one takes the energetic form when one is disembodied because uh, the Aborigines say that these are the ancestors. So they were once human. And now they live in the dream time. You come from the dream time, you return to the dream time. So to me, it was a very, very uh, interesting lesson in that discarnate beings might well be in this spiral form. Now, what is the nature of ultimate reality that you had a chapter on? Well, the... The alternate realities have to do with this interdimensional situation that uh, I've referred to many times here, like UAP or UFOs are seemingly come out of some kind of uh, dimension that uh, we're not able to chart with our instruments. Uh, They can appear and disappear. Uh, We know that uh, ghosts, appear and disappear, Uh, angels appear and disappear. So how does this happen? How can this possibly be? So, I mean, we have to say the the scientific materialist version of reality seems to be only true as far as our human senses go. But there seems to be very much another dimension uh, at least one, although yogis and such would say there are many uh, other dimensions. 
But uh, so I think we live in a multidimensional reality. And I think if you're really paying attention to your dreams and you meditate and you watch for synchronicities to occur, I think we're connected to this higher level of intelligence that uh, operates in another dimension. It could be what we might call the astral realm, um, but it's tied into our spirituality as well. So there's a great significance to it. It has to do with our continuance when we pass from this world. And you talk a lot about higher consciousness in your work, don't you? How come? That is the thing that I think carries us um, inspirationally to to be our better selves. Like to just try to, let's say, selfishly get all the money you can possibly make for yourself in this world and have all the things that wealth can buy. Like these material things are going to pass. We're going to leave them behind. Life flies by. And what we're here for, I think, is to learn spiritual lessons and to become spiritually enriched. And it's very important to be constantly aware of your every thought, word, and deed. This is what karma is all about. Karma is a word that just means action, and it's about reaping what you sow. So it's a worldwide uh, perception, and I think real magic is about transforming our perceptions and identifying with this higher intelligence rather than just the ego, which you know we think of as the thing that, that dominates while we're on this earth. Fascinating. Let's take some calls, and we'll take calls at the half as well. Ryan in Van Nuys, California, to get us started. Hi, Ryan. Hey, George. you hear me? Yeah, real good. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, I Your guest is fascinating tonight, I got to say. I love, you. I love your guest. I'm sorry, I don't know your name. Thank you. His name is Wayne. Wayne, Wayne. Wayne's World. Okay, perfect. Uh, so, first off, I want to say... Secret Society really intrigues me. So the Illuminati and all that, uh, I haven't, I've been listening to the show the whole night. I haven't heard anything about uh, the dollar bill or, or the, the currency where there is, there is some symbolism uh, with some secret society in the dollar bill. Do you touch on that at all, Wayne? And, uh, Robert Anton Wilson wrote, extensively on that whole thing about secret societies. And, of course, the Bavarian Illuminati was the original. I think it uh, was incepted on May 1st, 1776. There's a lot of um, conspiracy theories that surround that whole issue. Um, The early founders of America were, many of them, were Masons. And the Masonic Order has uh, 33 levels. So there, we also have to think of symbolism as being also a multi-level phenomenon. So I do think that, uh, yes, I understand about the eye in the pyramid on the dollar mm-hmm. bill and uh, that it's originally uh, that's 
particular symbol goes back to Egypt, to the Eye of Horus. So there's always been the, the multiple levels involved with these secret societies, and you, you get to the more esoteric information as you advance in these levels in these secret societies. So they have played a huge role in our governments and in our spiritual traditions, our religions. But I think we can get uh, too caught up on the materialist side of it, and we should realize that usually these things are pointing to some higher-level spirituality that will uh, ultimately frame who we are as entities in this world. Let's go to Gene in El Paso, Texas. Welcome to the show. Hey, Gene, go ahead. Hi, good evening, guys. Uh, Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Wayne, earlier you were speaking about uh, reincarnation, and and I've had this question uh, uh, with several different uh, 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 presenters on Coast to Coast, but I never got through on on the phone. So the question is, I like the idea, uh, uh, and I've heard the idea, you know, that we go through the life review and that that there's a kind of hellish quality to it because we get to experience from the other's point of view. And I like the idea, uh, at least the possibility of, of, of reincarnation. But what happens to consciousness after that review and before this entity is reincarnated what happens to it or the soul what do you think yeah or you might call it the psycho spiritual complex uh it the psycho part is our consciousness so it's uh it's all of a unit it's all one and like studies of children that have claimed to have lived a prior life you know there's thousands of cases now where uh, they've pursued the information that the children were talking about, uh, where they lived, who they were in their past life. They often have a bookmark that kind of ties into uh, perhaps a way they died, like a a wound. And I think at least 1,500 cases were pursued at the University of Virginia with uh, Dr. Ian Stevenson. And they have confirmed over and over again that the information these children were giving them was actually true and that they could confirm the details. So it was a very strong, it is a very strong proof that we reincarnate. There's no question about that. We're going to come back and take final calls in a moment on Coast to Coast AM. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you, Wayne Salman with us. Wayne, what is your next project? What are you working on? I'm working on another nonfiction book, and uh, I'm calling it at the moment Somewhere Over the Rabbit Hole. Aha. Uh-huh. I think is an interesting idea that uh, there's so much conspiracy theory going out there in the world today. So. And we talk about that euphemistically as being in the rabbit hole. So uh, I just think, you know, there's great mystery to it all. And uh, even like in quantum physics, uh, we're 
mystified by the way reality plays out. And, you know, we, our conception of atoms and such has changed now with these, uh, the quantum realm. But I think it ties into our consciousness very directly. And, uh, you know, it's, there's just so much to all of this. And I think we have to keep growing and studying. And as the Zen masters say, when you get to the top of the mountain, keep climbing. You got it. Let's go to the phones. David, truck driving in Nevada. Welcome to the program. Hey, David, go ahead. Uh, Thanks for taking my call. Thank you. Uh, you you touch on a lot of things that I know a lot of stuff about, but I want to focus on where you was talking about uh, these near death experiences are teaching people teaching us of of the what you called what man calls the golden rule, so to speak. And this is what the Father has taught me. But now in Matthew seven twelve it says, "Do unto other men as you would have other men do unto you." This is the law and the prophets. Yep. Now I'm going to skip a little bit. When you go to the law and the prophets, they start teaching you that everybody, regardless of color, race, nationalism, size, or shape, is part of the one Son of God. So yes, when we do die, we go up. Uh, Someone was asking about where we go when, while we're waiting for that reincarnation to happen. We go on to the holy mountain of Ezekiel. It's explained in Ezekiel 40 through 46. That's where we go awaiting to come back into our next life. We're going to put on certain tears. But You know your Bible, David. You know your stuff. Yes. The Father has taught me one-on-one, hardcore, hands-on training for the last, oh gosh, several years. <laughs> He's, that's, he's had me write several books on this. I'm working on the sixth one now. Well, you let us know all about that. But uh, go ahead, Wayne. What do you think about that waiting period? Well, uh, the Tibetan Buddhists call that the bardo. And I think that that is so, that we do uh, spend time in a, in a, a situation that's in another dimension. And I liked what David said there about regardless of your race, your religion, or anything else, none of that is relevant in the afterlife. It's how you treated other people. That's what it all comes down to, the golden rule, uh, karma, and that's what they're going to be focusing on. They're not going to want to know what religion you belong to. And it's very true that I think we do spend time in this uh, bardo where we're more or less collecting ourselves in terms of understanding the life we have just led. And that's the life review starts that process. But then we have to keep processing it. We have to understand it more deeply. And many say that we have soul groups that we uh, participate with, people, or I should say souls that we've known even prior to the life we're in right now. And we work together to grow the soul and to become more spiritually enriched. So I think you you made very good points there. Let's go to Bill in Los Angeles. Welcome to the show. Hey, Bill. How you doing, George? Good. Hope you are well. Yeah. Uh, Wayne, I'm a former newspaper reporter, and uh, I tend to go for uh, scientific objectivism, although I have to point out that uh, that does not preclude the possibility for me 
of uh, other dimensions or UAPs. In fact, your story about the UAP and a couple waving from a deck uh, got my attention because I have a book, uh, you may be familiar with it, called uh, The People's Almanac from the 1978. And there's some well-documented uh, stories about UAPs uh, in there. And there's one from 1959 of a UFO sighting in New Guinea. And this, sound, this sounds so much like your story. A Catholic priest and his students describe an orange-yellow metallic object that appeared. It was circular. It had a wide base and legs underneath and a shaft of blue light. Waving and, at the occupants, Bill. Remember that? Yes. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I recount that story in The Journey Across Forever because that is the singular most like my experience that I've found in the UFO literature. So that's interesting that you noted that as well. But yeah, that was there were like something like 37 witnesses to that, and they waved back and forth at each other. And I just think that was brilliant, you know. So, yeah, I, I know about that story. I think if I pronounce it correctly, Bullenai uh, is the place that that was, and it was a Jesuit priest or something like that. So, yeah, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. The occupants, Bill, were waving back at the kids, weren't they? Yeah, they were waving back and forth, and they signaled with a torch because they weren't sure if they were seeing their waving. And then the, the apparently the light made some kind of uh, signal that acknowledged the torch signal. So and then they eventually they said the occupants apparently got uh, bored with the people down below and just went about their business, and then they took off. <laughs> I love it. Great story. Good, good story. Yeah, and it happened on more than one night. That's true. Jeremy in North Dakota. Hello, Jeremy. Go ahead. Can you hear me, George? So far. Okay. Um, 19 years, 7 months, and 3 days ago, I was in a nearly fatal auto accident. Immediately, I was in a coma for 2 and a half months. Is it possible that I was existing in many dimensions when I was in my coma? That's an interesting take, Wayne. Where was he? Well, I think you were in another dimension. Uh, we know from a lot of stories about uh, people who are in comas are actually experiencing all kinds of things, and they often can recount uh, things that were said also in the, the consensus reality we share, like in a hospital. Um, so where we don't know where that is. We can't say in, in that sense, but this is where the multidimensional reality comes into play. And I do think uh, consciousness can survive the body. So even when the body is shut down all its systems uh, and you're in a coma, you're still going to experience the sense of being able to go places like uh, in other realms and experience entities there. It could be even loved ones that you've known on earth, but also these spiritual or transcendental entities, beings of light and so forth. And uh, it's uh, quite remarkable if you can remember any of the things that happened, you should write that down. Uh, I think the most famous case of that right now is with Dr. Eben Alexander, his proof um, of heaven. That's right. He's been on the program uh, a couple neuro, times. A neurologist, like he knows that his brain could not have made up the stuff that he experienced. So 
that's quite interesting. Let's go to Ed in Charlotte, North Carolina. Hello, Eddie. Go ahead. Hey, thanks, George. Sure thing. Uh, Wayne, I'm I'm with you there on Bob Dylan uh, winning. You gave a great testimony on why he should have won the Nobel Prize in writing, even though it was musical lyrics. And I'm right there with yep. you with Carl Jung. And one last thing, in the book of Daniel on in there, he fasted for a whole three weeks. And when the angel showed up, said, gee, I'd like to have been here earlier, but I, I was pulled rank by a demon blocking me. And I had to wait for Michael to get there to, to allow me to get here so he could uh, interpret the see the dream and interpret it. I have one simple question. George has had uh, Holly, uh, Heidi Hollis on. A uh, number of times. Now, she has battled a lot of her life against hat men or shadow men, she said. And she blew me away the other night when she bought up uh, Rudolf Steiner, who's done a sculptor. Now, he's known for agricultural right. genius 100 years ago. And she yeah. said hat man doesn't have to have a head because he did a sculpture, and she recognized it as the demon. That that just is amazing to me from a, an unusual source. And I want your opinion, because I hadn't heard you make any room for demons as she sees them as fallen angels and a negative uh, entity uh, trying to take our souls. And I'd be interested in your, if you have any concept of that. Well, I appreciate the question, and I know I try to focus more on the light than the dark, but there is uh, there are dark entities that I think we do have to deal with. I think as sovereign souls that we have the strength and the power to resist uh, other entities that are trying to take control of us. Uh, I think these, these types of entities are just en- entities that don't have the higher level thinking that they could have if they open themselves up. It's a kind of a selfish thing where you're trying to control other people. But um, there is some question whether the grays are these uh, the figures that might constitute what we think of as demons. Uh, but since things are interdimensional uh, and all things are dualistic, we have the light side and the dark side, So the thing is, what we focus on is what we're feeding energy to. So there are demons, but the smart thing is to stay well away and not be calling them down or into your life, but to concentrate on the angelic side, the light side. So we have to be careful, but uh, I think it's possible to navigate our way forward without resorting to giving in to these darker impulses and dark energies. Wayne, what do you think of Ouija boards? They're they're a bit risky, I think, because we don't know who we're actually interacting with. Um, I don't subscribe to using them myself, but I... I know people that have, and they do get otherworldly kind of answers. I think you are connecting to a higher intelligence, but um, there's it's populated by all kinds of entities. So I just think we have to be careful about who we connect with. And, uh, you know, I always want to stick with the light as far as possible. Would be nice. Joe in Monterey, California. Joseph, go ahead. Thank you for taking my call, George. 
Uh, you're saving the best to last. Well, um, let's let's find out. Okay, Wayne. Uh, I've been practicing. Uh, I'm a practitioner. I don't like to uh, sit in the sidelines. I like to get out in, or travel spiritually and do all kinds of things. Uh, there's a book called uh, The Path of the Masters by Julian P. Johnson. It talks about the sound, uh, the sound current or the audible life stream. It's in the Bible, you know, uh, Pentecost, you know, light and sound. You work with that, uh-huh. and, and it will enlighten you. More importantly, you'll have experiences in these higher worlds, and you'll see for yourself. Rather than read books, I like to practice. Have you ever uh, been out of the body yourself and, and have these experiences in these higher worlds? It's an eye-opener, and, it's, and it will develop soul, by the way. Has that ever happened to you, Wayne? Well, I've certainly experienced uh, higher levels of interaction where there's the sound, like the, you know, the yogis would say that the original sound that even brought this whole material realm into being is concentrated in the word Aum. And sound does play, I think, the primordial role in um, in uh, our whole consciousness coming into being. So that's interesting what you're saying, and I do meditate a lot. Um, I don't know that I've ever floated above my body, although my flying dreams, some would say, uh, might well be, be out-of-body experiences. But certainly when I meditate, I can reach a point where I'm in another realm, and there is often this this beautiful angelic music that you can hear, and you can sometimes hear it in your dreams if you're uh, paying close attention. So that has occurred to me. Wayne, thank you for being on the program. Keep in touch with us. Wayne Solman, live in Dublin, Ireland. For Dan Galanti, Tom Danheiser, Lisa Lyon, Lex Lonehood, Sean LaDesour, Stephanie Smith, Chris Burroughs, Tim Benal, George Knapp, and Ian Punnett. I'm George Norrie. Somewhere out there on Coast to Coast AM, we'll see you on our next edition. Until then, be safe, everyone.